I am just honored to be here and have the opportunity to speak this morning. Mike asked me a couple weeks ago when he said he would be gone in Lake Crystal this morning. And I was excited to um, nervously say yes to the opportunity. So um, my, like Brian said, a lot of my involvement is with the youth here at church. And so on Sunday mornings, I rotate in the second through fourth grade Victory for Kids classrooms. And on Wednesday nights, uh, my husband and I serve in junior and senior high youth group. And I was an elementary teacher for two years before um, jumping on board here at Victory. So a lot of my mind is really youth-driven and kids-driven. And when I read the Word, I have maybe a little more of an animated mind than some of you do. Um, And so when I prayed about what to look at... I know that Mike has been teaching from parables, and we've been in the Gospels leading up to Easter. And a couple characters, a couple disciples, I guess I should say, that jumped out to me were Peter and Judas. And so today, uh, the sermon is actually called The Battle for Your Heart. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But I thought there was one way that I could make the sermon, like, really good. And when I was looking at the scripture in John when um, Jesus is at Lazarus' home, and Mary and Martha, well, Martha's serving, and, um, and Mary pours that expensive perfume all over his feet, my mind was like, oh, I could get someone up here, and we could have like a big bottle of like oily perfume, and then I could pour it all over his feet, and then I could take my hair out, and I could wash his feet. And then later there's a story we'll go to where um, Judas goes back to the temple and throws the coins back in regret for betrayal. I'm like, oh, I could have these silver coins. And like, we seriously have these little coins back in Victory for Kids. And I could like throw them across the stage. And then I'm like, you know what? These are not children you're speaking to. (laughs) And (laughs) if I do that, I may never get asked to speak again. (laughs) So I decided just to stick with a PowerPoint like Mike does. Um, but really, if you're an animated mind like me, when I get to those points in the sermon, do it in your mind, because I will be. So let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for this morning, and I pray that you would just give me your words, and that, Lord, I just wouldn't speak or do or anything, Lord, that is not apart from your will this morning. And Lord, I thank you for every single one here this morning, and I pray that you would teach me and you teach us from your word this morning. And Lord, I pray that the battle for our hearts, Lord, would be won victorious by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to start. We're going to look at Peter, and we're going to look at Judas. And then we're going to compare their stories and talk about our hearts. So let's start with Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. (laughs) Um, Like Mike said a few weeks ago in one of his sermons, Peter was a disciple. He was a friend of Jesus. And he could maybe be considered one of the favorite three, if you will, of the disciples. And Peter, on one, one moment, Peter had the faith to walk on water. And the next moment, he'd put his foot in his mouth and get rebuked by Jesus himself. And, you know, sometimes we're kind of hard on Peter, but I feel like we can all relate to Peter. I mean, I certainly can. You know, it's like one minute you're just like, yes! And then the next minute you're like, oh! And that's exactly what Peter is like. And Peter's passionate, emotionally charged personality was definitely his greatest strength. 
but it also led to his betrayal, which ended up being his greatest weakness, really. And so that's Peter in a nutshell, and I'm going to read, unfortunately, I'm going to read Peter's betrayal. So if you turn with me to Mark 14, verse 66 through 72, I think it's up here behind me too. And when I look at scripture, I like to see what happened before, before this. You know, it's like, well, what happened just before this? Give me some context here. Well, here's what happened before, verse 66. Jesus um, had a meal with his disciples, what we call the Lord's Supper. He broke the bread. He drank the wine. He did that as a symbol that he was going to cross. He had an intimate supper with his disciples. And then Jesus was arrested, and uh, Peter was there in this all through the Lord's Supper, through Jesus' arrest, and actually Peter, so emotionally charged, actually drew his sword during the arrest because he's like, you're not going to take this man, you know, and he actually came to Jesus' defense, but of course, again, Jesus kind of correctly, lovingly rebukes him and says, Peter, put your sword away. I'm not leading a rebellion. I have to do this to fulfill the scriptures. So that's what's happened before this. And so we pick up in in, um, verse 66, and it says, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know and understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. And again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down, and he wept. One thing We'll look at Judas's story here in just a second. But one thing that really stuck out to me, and I did all those word searches that Mike, you know, there's Bible software, and we were really looking up the meaning behind this. And really, what really jumped out to me was a broke down. There's just something about a breaking. Like when you repent, when you know you've done something wrong, and you know You've just betrayed Jesus either in your actions, in your words, in your lifestyle. When I see, when I picture a breaking, I see someone on their knees. In fact, I see myself many times on my knees. Breaking down. And that breaking point for Peter was so crucial. We'll see here later in his life what Peter amounted to, and the fact that Jesus' betrayal in Peter's life actually didn't define him. 
He actually moved far beyond this low point of his life, but because he broke. He had to break. Much like you and I have to break down and realize that just, there is just nothing he could do to take those words back. There was absolutely nothing he could do in his own human nature, in his physical body, that he could undo those words spoken. And if you've spoken a word that's been really damaging to someone else, oh, it's that moment of pure regret. But there is absolutely nothing you can do to take those words back, but break down before your Heavenly Father. And so that's what Peter did here. And we'll jump back to Peter in just a second, but I want to I kind of lay the groundwork a little bit before we compare their stories, and that means we need to read Judas about Judas. Um, Judas is another disciple. He was one of the twelves. He was considered Jesus' friend. I mean, if you, it wasn't by accident that Judas was a disciple. It was part of God's will. It was God of, part of God's plan. And actually, after Judas betrayed Jesus, I noticed something jumped out in me when I was reading his story, is he called him friend. He said, friend, do what you came to do. Jesus knew he was going to betray him, but he called him friend. Judas was a friend of Christ. But unfortunately, Judas had a problem. And Judas was the treasurer, what we would call, we would give him the labor, the treasurer of the disciples and Jesus. It's, he's described as charge of the money bag. Okay, he was in charge of what was going in and out of that money bag. And he was the treasurer. And unfortunately, he was also a thief from the money bag. He took from this money bag that he was entrusted. And we know this from a portion of scripture in John, the Gospel of John. And I'm just going to summarize this story. This is my paraphrase. Um, and this is what happens in John, is that uh, Jesus goes to Lazarus' home. Here's where, if you're an illustrated mind, you can pour the perfume on the feet. But um, he goes to Lazarus' home, and there's Mary, and there's Martha. And Martha is preparing and Mary, knowing, it's just like, I love Mary's sensitivity to the Spirit because she knows the hour is coming for Jesus Christ to go to the cross. And so Mary takes a jar of perfume, and it actually says that the perfume is worth a year's wages. Can you imagine that? I mean, we're kind of hard on Judas here in a little bit, but... Take a year of your wages and just pour it out. You can't get it back. That's the value of this perfume that she poured on his feet. But she didn't care because she knew that Jesus was going to the cross and it was an ultimate act of servanthood on her behalf. But here's Judas watching this happen and Mary is pouring it out on Jesus' feet and then taking her hair and washing his feet, and Lazarus in the background, I can just, I would have loved him in a fly on the room and seeing his face. He's just dying inside him, and he's just going, ah, ah. 
in the background because he's got a problem. It's a money greed problem. And that perfume being poured on her feet is not just perfume. Those are money signs in his eyes. A year's worth of money is being poured on his feet. And you know what he does? Is he actually, and I mean, it's probably maybe a little bit of a cover-up. He goes, well, couldn't we have um, sold that perfume and given the money to the poor? I think it was a cover-up for his face. I mean, I don't know that. It doesn't say what his face looked like in Scripture, but it does say in verse 6 that he did not, this is word for word, he did not care about the poor, for he was going to take from the money bag. Okay, so it wasn't, it it was a cover-up. Okay, and so he was trying to cover up his pure disgrace of this perfume being poured out in such a wasteful manner in his eyes. Um, I think about an illustration. I actually, um, many of you know, my husband goes and does cattle chores every morning, and I'm just like, what would this be like? Like, I was trying to think in my head. I text him while I was here, and he was over there feeding the cattle, and I said, what is a bag of of seed worth now. I know it's expensive, but I don't always follow all that stuff. I leave that to him. And I said, what is a bag of seed worth? And he said, it's close to $400. I think he said $370, $60, something like that after his discount. And, you know, I think about, you know, if a farmer was having a pickup load of seed and one fell off of the pickup and went all over, me being the naive, oh, that's too bad, you know, oh, look at all that wasted seed. But to a farmer, those are like money values. I mean, that's like money hitting the pavement, a waste. And that's exactly what was going on in Judas's head here. Oh, that is money being poured out on our feet. And um, that was so wasteful to him, yet Mary really got the point of it all. So we know a lot about Judas because of this one story in the house of Lazarus. So, Judas, Judas, Judas. I'm going to turn to Matthew 26. You can turn there if you like. We're going to look at Judas's betrayal. In Matthew 26, verse 14. Now again, giving you a little background here. Okay? Judas is here with the rest of the disciples. And after this portion of scripture, he then goes and partakes with the Lord's Supper. But right before this, it says in verse 14, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand over to you, him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Oh, doesn't that just make you kind of sick in your stomach? He just said, what are you willing to give me for Jesus Christ? And he got 30 silver coins. Judas had a problem. After he agrees that he's going to watch for an opportunity to betray Jesus, he continues in kind of this double split heart. He has a supper with Jesus. He, he even says that he won't do it. I, I won't deny you. And he, um, 
then as Jesus is praying in Gethsemane, he must, somehow he leaves. And when he returns, he's with a crowd carrying clubs and swords. He's returning with a soldier sent from the high priest to arrest Jesus. He was waiting for his opportunity, and then he sees the opportunity. And it tells us later that he greets Jesus with the kiss. And the kiss signified that that is the one. That is Jesus Christ. He is the one you want. And so he greeted him with a kiss, and the guards took him. They seized him, and he arrested him. And then in Matthew 27, 3 through 5, kind of going through some scripture here quickly to try to lay the groundwork here, but in Matthew 27, 3 through 5, it says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Jesus threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. There's differences between their stories. It's really not fair to put Peter in the same boat as Judas because their stories are so very different. Let's look at those differences. One, Peter versus Judas. The first difference is one was unintentional and one was premeditated. If you were in a court of law and you committed a crime, they would want to see whether you had premeditated murder, correct? That's worse, right? Well, here, Judas had a premeditated betrayal. He got bought off. He had 30 coins for Jesus, where Peter, Peter unintentionally, in the heat of the moment, and his emotional personality fully charged. I don't know what was going through Peter's mind. He was, you know, witnessing an arrest, um, men with clubs. Who knows? I'm sure he was scared. I'm not justifying his behavior. I'm just saying that he's coming at it from a different point of view than Judas. So there's premeditated versus unintentional. The second one is so important is how they respond. This is the most important thing, how they respond. They both betrayed Jesus, but they responded so very differently. Peter, Peter, in that verse where he said he broke down and he wept. Peter realized there was absolutely nothing he could do. He was at loss. Where Judas, he tried to make it right, didn't he? He thought, oh no, I regret, I regret remorse. Wish he could go back is really that wording. He took the silver coins to the temple and he threw the coins back. Like, just take it back. Let's just take it back. But that isn't repentance, is it? We know from Scripture that repentance is not just a feeling of remorse. It's not just a feeling of, oh, darn, I did something wrong. 
It's not even just a feeling of regret. It's literally breaking before your father. And actually, in the Greek, it's to have another mind. It's like this change. Like you, you repent and you turn away and turn to God. And that's what Peter did. He literally had a change of mind, a change of heart. And we see later in Acts, after they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and there's a bunch of people that think they're drunk, and they're actually not drunk, they're just filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter is actually so moved that he addresses the crowd and becomes one of the greatest evangelists in the New Testament. Peter turned away from his decision to betray Jesus and said, you know what, I did that. I owned it. I broke. And now I'm going to use my life to honor Jesus Christ. Now that is repentance. Judas, on the other hand, died in his shame, died in his remorse. And the third thing that's different between their stories and this is the one I want to focus on for a little bit. Oh, good, and I have time. You know, I'll take a little uh, minute here to admit something. I didn't know sometimes I get kind of, like, long-winded. And so when you're in charge of victory for kids, you can then, st- like, stash all the snacks in there on the Sunday that you speak. So the, the preschoolers have jelly and bread, and the middle group has clementines and the nursery has plenty of goldfish so I knew that if I went a little bit longer that the teachers wouldn't get too mad at me because at least stock their classrooms with snacks and every good teacher knows that when all else fails you just go to the snacks and so um, I guess that was the one advantage of asking me to speak is that I could I could get us all figured out here this morning so um, in The last point that I really want to look at, and this is the one I want to really hit on, is the difference between Peter and Judas' betrayal is one had a pure heart, and we've kind of talked about that, but Judas had a divided heart. Ultimately, Judas' betrayal is because his heart was divided. And Judas would have known this. It's like you can know things and then not apply them. You know what I'm saying? We've all been there before. You could read it. You could, you could memorize the whole book of Matthew. But you don't let it penetrate your heart. It's worthless, right? And so that's exactly Judas. He should have known this. Isn't it in Matthew 6, 4 that God said that you cannot serve two masters? You will end up loving one and hating the other. Or you will be devoted to one and just despise the other. And Jesus himself told and preached on this. He said, you cannot serve God and money. Yet Judas did exactly that. He did exactly what Jesus said earlier in Matthew. He was serving Jesus Christ himself and money. And his heart was divided. And... um. That's so dangerous. Oh, it's dangerous to have a divided heart. Judas is a prime example of the danger of living one foot with one master and another foot with another. It's so dangerous for us. Don't even pretend to make excuses for yourself. It's dangerous to live with a divided heart.
ultimately for Judas, it cost him his life. And he is living this double life. And, you know, we have this need in ourselves to serve something, to worship something. It's so apparent to me as I get older and older is that people are serving something. I ran across this one song, and again, I chose not to do it, but um, it, was, it was a Bob Dylan song, and I didn't even know it, but it's, it's you got to serve somebody. And in his Bob Dylan voice, he, he sings this song, and the lyrics are just like so spot on. He says, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may like to be be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. And I thought his lyrics there were just like, yeah. We will all serve something. And for everyone here, I hope we serve Jesus. And I don't hope that we serve him with one foot in and the other out. I hope we serve him with a abandoned, full heart, honoring Jesus. And there are, for Judas, his heart was serving greed and money. And the other side of him was walking hand in hand, literally, with Jesus Christ. So if he can do that, I know very well that it's a danger for us. And there are idols in our lives, and I think um, the next one shows a bunch, and I kind of, I, I borrowed, this is, isn't stealing, right? <laughs> I borrowed these from Gods at War, the study from Kyle Eidelman. And um, these are just common idols in our lives, common gods, right? Really. When we worship something higher and something consumes our lives more than Jesus Christ, it's an idol. And so there are many, many idols in your life. It might not be money, and it might not be greed. That was Judas's. But here are some areas that just take a hard check that could be going on in our lives. There are pleasure, power, and love. And I like the way he broke it down in his book. You can break it down however you want. But there are some major themes, especially I feel like in our Western culture, here are some major themes with idols in our lives. Food, entertainment, sex, success. Here's money, Judas's downfall. Achievement, romance. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's just yourself. But these are things that literally, he says in his book, he says, when we worship idols in our lives, we are robbing Jesus of the worship he deserves. And you might, you might not know that you have an idol in your life until Jesus puts his finger on it. And you think idol's kind of a strong word. Well, sometimes idols are manifested in addictions. You're like, oh, well, don't worry. I don't even smoke or drink, so I don't have an addiction. Well, guess what? It can manifest in so many other ways. What do you spend your time thinking about? What do you spend your time doing? What consumes you? 
What do you lay in your bed at night with the wheels just a-turning? Uh-oh. My notes say, insert personal story here if time. <laughs> and I think I have time. Ooh, well, here's the deal. Um, if I could identify with one idol that I have to constantly crucify in my life, I'm talking this baby will rise up as soon as I let it. Okay? It's the God of achievement. Okay? And it actually can really look like a good one. Like, I can kind of get away with it. You know, I'm not seen downtown in the bars, right? It's not one of those things that are outwardly, but you know what? God doesn't care. If you're worshiping something, whether good or bad, and it's not Jesus Christ, then it's a betrayal. And he puts his finger on this over and over in my life, and I have to constantly crucify the God of achievement. And I'll tell you a quick story, because I do have time. So, um, and I, wh what I love about Pastor Mike is that he doesn't even pretend to be perfect. He's so vulnerable with us. If there's, I mean, there's many, many things that I look to him, and I glean from, and I write things down, like, what can I learn from our Pastor Mike? And one thing is his honesty and his transparency. I love that about him. And I know many of you love that about him. So I'm like, okay, if, uh, as someone who might have more speaking opportunities, one thing that I can incorporate that I've learned from Pastor Mike is that people respond to transparency. And so here's my transparent moment. I grew up best friends with this girl, best friends, like inseparable you know, the BFFs, you know, in it for life kind of style. And well, I mean, you know, passing notes and like we borrowed each other's clothes and we were just that, you know, middle school inseparable place. And you know, the one thing about, and she's wonderful, I'm not, this is not about her. I would tell this to her face, is that we were that duo and I was always the one that wasn't quite as good. Does that make sense? Um, she was quick, like the kind of girl that would walk into an ACT and ace it without the study guide. And I was the girl that studied for weeks on ends to get the same. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, she was the girl that was so athletic, went all around the nation. She was this awesome, athletic person. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness, I should say. I shouldn't even say that. But um, I'm not athletic. I mean, I could try with the best of them, but it's pretty apparent. You know, I'm not aggressive. I'm not athletic. It's just not in my cards. And so, I mean, when you are really, really close to someone and they are always, always better than you, I kind of started this whole achievement thing. Well, if I can just work harder, I will put in the hours. I will stay up to 2 a.m. to get that A. I want the 4.0. I can be the president, too. I'm just going to have to work harder than you. And it was just this thing. You know, it just kind of brews. And pretty soon I go off to college, away from my family. I have no idea that I'm in my dorm room literally to like 2 a.m. so often, ridiculously studying, cramming. You know why? Because I wanted that 4.0. Okay, it's like, it's like a high for me. I know it's just ridiculous. It's really pathetic. But really, it's just the same type of high that you would get off something else. I might not have been out with the other, some of my other friends drinking root beers, but I was in my dorm, and I was seeking a high. And it was the same high that they were seeking. 
I wanted that A. Oh, and when I got it, <clears throat> I couldn't wait to do the next one, you know? But the thing is, it just never satisfied me. That is a God of achievement. And you know what? Uh, when it all kind of came crashing down, and I realized, Casey, you got a problem, is when um, <laughs> it was my junior year, and we took finals, and I had worked all week long, and it came down to this last final. And my last final was supposed to be kind of a slack one. It was health. And I'm not talking like anatomy people. I was going to be an elementary teacher. It's like health and PE, okay? And so I had just, you know, I had just aced my algebra one. I was on board, and my friend who understood more important things in life, said, Casey, why don't you just, it's our last night in Madison here before you go home for the summer. Why don't you come out, a Christian friend, come out with us. Let's just go out, have supper, hang out. It's our last night here. And I did. I actually did it. And I went out there, and oh, sure enough, the next morning, I had my health final, which I kind of blew off and went out the night before because it was supposed to be the easy one, right? And I got an 89% on that baby. I did not make an A, and I, this is the truth, people. Like, I bawled my bloody eyes out. Like, I just was like, no! I just got to be, and seriously, I did not get a 4 all that that semester of college I ended up getting like a 3.89 whatever it is when you get one B and the rest A's and like like literally I was bawling like legit I mean I laugh at it now but it was legit emotion okay and I realized that I was worshiping myself I mean what is that that's just pride in there it's just I want to do this why I don't know because I wanted to prove to everyone that I could be smart too I might not be the quickest one, but I can do it. And you know what? That was the wrong motive. Who cares? My employers definitely didn't not hire me because I had one B in health, for goodness sakes. It's just ridiculous. And the thing is, that is a God, a false God in my life. And I have to continually, yes, I repented, break it. That was, I could feel like that was like a breaking point. When, when I was bawling in my room because of me, I'm like, you have a problem. That was my breaking point, okay? And it's kind of a silly God, but you know, there's other gods out here that you're worshiping. It might not be achievement. It might be money. You might be addicted to that sexual high that's just on your computer that you turn to when it's 8 o'clock at night and you just can't get away from it, you cannot break that baby, you need a Peter moment. You need a breaking. And not just a breaking, you need to turn to set your mind on the things above and turn from that sin. It's not a regret. It's not a, oh, I'm going to undo it tomorrow. You know what? I won't even look at that computer. I won't even touch it. That was what Judas was. Here, just take the coins. Just take them. Take them so I don't have to bear this regret and this sickening, sick feeling in my gut. We have all been there. Where you're just so sickened with yourself. That's good. But it's not what God intends. He wants you to turn back to him. 
Set your minds on the things of above. Set your mind on honoring him with your life. And you know what? What's awesome about our loving father is that he knows that we're going to have Peter moments. He knows that we're going to put our foot in our mouth. He knows that we're going to fall short. But he loves us just where we are at. He loves us for who we are. But all he is asking for a true repentance, a breaking. So I want to challenge you this morning. I really want to challenge you to look at your lives and say, what am I thinking about? What motivates me? In our culture, this could be so many things. It could be food. I think that's a big one. I think a lot of people serve food. What am I having for lunch? And then supper, and then, oh, okay, and then this, and this, and, oh, geez, I'm just really craving that at nine, and, you know, they're in their fridges in the middle of the night, and we all just kind of, like, laugh it off, but if you're spending a lot of your earthly life thinking about food, maybe it's an idol. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Whatever your downfall is, whatever you turn to, why are you worshiping it? It could be entertainment. Our culture is infatuated with entertainment. Just entertain me all the time. I want a game on my phone and then on the TV and then, and then oh, I'm going to have surround sound. I just have to be constantly entertained. You see that with our children. I was a teacher. There were just kids that literally like, entertain me. And that's maybe why I got all my, you know, <laughs> tricks out of the hat to keep them with me because it was just like they couldn't not be entertained. Do you spend your whole day finding time to entertain yourself? That's a God. If it comes before the things that you're worshiping, and that should be Jesus Christ, if it comes before him, it's a God. And you need to lay that puppy down. You need to nail it to the cross. And just like me, you might have to continue to nail it to the cross. You need to break. You need to turn. But as sometimes in our lives, Satan knows exactly where we're weak. Exactly where you're weak. And though I'm not in school anymore, that God of achievement, oh, that could rise up in me easily. Oh, I've got to nail that thing to the cross. Oh, geez, Casey, you're paid here every day and you're not doing enough. Do more. That's the God of achievement. And so I just want to challenge you. Mike, myself, I know many people in this body would be willing to meet one-on-one with you. Sometimes it takes someone to encourage you, to help you. Sometimes we can't do it on our own. And so I just encourage you, if you know there is something in your gut telling you this morning, I have something. I am seeking something other than Jesus to satisfy my soul. Then I just encourage you, find someone. If it's not me, I'd love to meet with you, but if it's not me, find someone that you know and you trust. Crucify that idol. You know, these disciples, Peter and Judas, we can be hard on them. But really, we all can identify with them. 
And what I love is that Jesus is not dead. He's alive. And he's coming back again. Like Brian said, he's coming back and we're going to have a new Jerusalem. And this city is going to be awesome. And Jesus is going to be in the middle of it. And he's going to be the light. There's going to be no more sorrow. There's going to be no more of this crappy sickness or disease or grief. And actually, there's not even going to be a sun. Because Jesus himself is going to illuminate the whole city. And our promise is that if we follow him and love him, we get to live with him forever. In this city as his bride. We are his bride. And he's looking for a bride with an undivided heart. He is looking for a bride when he comes back again that will full-heartedly serve him. I want to be that bride. Betrayal is dangerous. Idols in your life is dangerous. Be his bride that he's coming back for. Put on your garments of holiness. What are we waiting for? I've seen pictures all over the internet of these people who are laying down their lives every single day for Jesus Christ. On their knees, you've seen them too. A little too graphic maybe for this morning. But you've seen them. There are people laying down their lives for Jesus Christ every single day. You know what? They're now in heavenly places. And they are praising the Lamb of God, singing, holy, holy, holy. And their heart on that day was not divided. They gave up their heart. They gave up their entire life for Jesus. And that's my prayer for you and I this morning, is that you would be ready. Your heart would be ready, whether Jesus comes back tomorrow or there's a fatal car accident. Your heart is ready to meet Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, I just, I pray, Jesus, that if there's anyone here who is struggling with a divided heart, Lord, struggling with whatever you fill in the blank, money, success, maybe it's achievement like me, maybe it's... um, Oh, maybe it's sexual sin, Lord God. I pray right now that you just put a finger on it. Lord, and I pray that we wouldn't leave here condemned. We know that God is not a God of condemnation. I pray that we would leave here and we would have a breaking point. Lord, we would have a breaking point like Peter where we weep, but we don't stop there, Lord. We turn back. We end up living our lives saving thousands of people. For your honor and your glory, Jesus. So I pray that if there is something in our lives this morning, you'd put a finger on it and that we would act upon it. Because Jesus, I want to be ready for your second coming. I want a pure heart as your bride on that day. Lord, I pray that anything that I spoke that wasn't of you, it would fall away so that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.